0: God's doing a lot of work in the Harvest Bible Fellowship, especially through that vertical church book that just came out. Uh, This last week, Lauren and I went down to the senior pastor's retreat uh, in Harvest Orlando. Um, I know you all hate me, but it was work. I was down there, you know, (laughs) she's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, They get all the pastors from the Harvest churches in one place, give a praise report for the fellowship. We worship and we get poured into by Pastor James and Paul Tripp was down there. Um, But amazing things are happening. Do you know that in this year... Uh, we're going to launch our 100th church plant in the Harvest Bible Fellowship. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, we were so excited to catch up with other friends and hear what God's doing uh, in the fellowship. But uh, on the last day of the conference, it ended at like 1. And so Lauren and I thought, well, hey, let's spend like half a day at Epcot. Let's just, you know, date time, just the two of us going there. And it was beautiful. So we decided to go. uh, And I pulled out my smartphone because it's got a map app. And sometimes I feel like getting satellite assistance should help me to get to my destination quicker. Yeah? And, and you would also think that if I pull out the map app and it shows me a blinking blue dot on a map that's sent to me from space that I should be able to get to where I'm going, uh, right? But my phone kept getting us lost. You See how I blame the phone there? <laughs> my, my phone kept getting us lost. Now, you might think that that's... Like, I'm making that up, but I... I was following the directions. I was turning right when it said turn right. I was turning left when it said turn left. And then out of nowhere it said in 500 feet. Make a U-turn. I was like U-turn. So I made a U-turn. And then several miles later in 500 feet. Make a U-turn. And I can't prove this but I swear my phone laughed at me. As I was U-turning I heard ha 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 ha. Lauren didn't hear it. (laughs) But... I can tell you this, we definitely did not take the straightest route to Epcot. We definitely did not get there fast. It took us a long time, and we went out of our way. Uh, We didn't have to. Uh, Last week, we left the Israelites. They were in Egypt. They were on their way out because 10 plagues later, Pharaoh finally woke up and said, I'm going to let them go. Uh, God then did an interesting thing. You would think he would lead them in the straightest possible path to the promised land, right? Let's get them there. It's about time but he didn't. Uh, In fact, he had them make a few U-turns, different directional turns in the desert, and it, it seemed like they were lost. And you have to ask yourself, why would God do that? He finally got them out of Egypt. What on earth is he doing redirecting them in the wilderness? Well, here's why. He led them to this dead end, because there's a lesson of faith that we can only learn on the shores of the Red Sea. We are going to the shores of the Red Sea this morning. We have a lesson of faith that God can only teach us there, and we're going to go there together. Let's pray, and then we'll meet up with Moses. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, one of the most famous stories in Scripture. Thank you for this wonderful miracle, this mighty act of God that we're about to read about. But Lord, why? Why is it in the Bible? Is there more to it than just an act of nature, than just you controlling the elements? Is there more to it? My prayer is that you would give us here today the lesson of faith that you taught your people so long ago. Give us ears to hear. Speak to us, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab your Bibles and open up to Exodus chapter 14. Exodus chapter 14. Uh, We're actually going to cover, what we cover this morning is like chapters 12, 13, and 14. Uh, but we're, we're going we're gonna to be in 14 for the most part. So you can go ahead and go there. And I want to tell you the angle that I'm going to take on this passage. Because there's so many different angles we could take. This could be a sermon this morning on facing your trials with courage. When God has to come through. Uh, when you've got nowhere to turn. Like it could be all those things. But uh, I've chosen to take the angle of this. What happens at the Red Sea is a portrait of salvation. God has things God wants to teach you at the Red Sea about you, spiritual truths. Um, and when God has things to say, there's a few different ways he can do it. Uh, there's what we would call general revelation, which is you look at a beautiful sunset and pretty mountains and an awesome lake, and you're like, wow, God's amazing and creative. But that's about as far as that can get you. Um, But if God wants to reveal something to you that you otherwise couldn't know, that's called special revelation. He does it through his word. He does it through Christ. But he also does it through the nation of Israel. Looking at Israel reveals truths, spiritual truths, about you to you. So what we're going to see here on the shores of the Red Sea is a portrait of salvation. You'll see the human condition as God sees it. You'll see our need. You'll see the problem. And then you'll see what God does to solve the human problem. Uh, You're at chapter 14, but just turn the page back to 13, verse 3. And uh, here's the first lesson of faith we see in chapter 13, verse 3. Then Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you came out from Egypt, out of the, get this, the house of slavery. For by a strong hand the Lord brought you out from this place. Here's the first lesson of faith we learn at the shores of the Red Sea. Write this down. I was bound by sin. When you look back in your past, just as the Israelites look back in their past, what you see is slavery and bondage to sin. Galatians 5, verse 1, we'll put it up on the screen. Hey, let's read this together. Go ahead and raise your voices with me and read this. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Listen to these words, freedom, set us free, yoke of slavery. Hey, hey, what do we learn here? I was bound by sin. What was in their past is in my past. And that means this, jot this down, I couldn't free myself. Write that down. I couldn't free myself. Um, I don't know if you found this to be true, but when I was growing up, when I was a child, Uh, The funnest house on the block was the house with the least parental supervision. Did you find that? So the neighbors across the street, mom was never home, so we'd always get in the most trouble over there. I don't know what led to this moment, but um, it was probably a dare or some sort of a bet or whatever. But somehow I ended up standing on a pool table, handcuffed to a light fixture (laughs) in the basement of my friend's house. Okay, now there were four boys in that house, and after I won the bat or whatever, they began to discuss where the key to these handcuffs were. And nobody knew. I don't know. You've got the key. No, you've got the key. I think I threw it in the pool. No, I think it's in the back couch. So they all leave. And nobody knows where the key is. So I'm just standing there. And these were not toy handcuffs. They had somehow gotten their hands on some pretty sturdy metal, like unbreakable handcuffs. Now I'm standing there all alone. And then, and then they come up with ideas like they brought down a screwdriver, and then they brought down a butter knife, and they're trying to get, set me free, and they can't do it. So guess who they have to go call? Mom, one of the boys goes over, uh, uh, Mrs. Hall, um, well, Ryan is handcuffed to our light fixture in the basement. Can you come over to, What? So I'm standing up there. It's like going on 30 minutes now. My arm's getting tired. And then mom walks down the stairs. And I'm like, uh-oh, I'm in big trouble. What did you do? And, uh, and so she couldn't get So she had to call the police. So then the police had to come. And they, they, like, had to bring the jaws of life to get these things undone. And then after they cut the chain, they didn't get the cuff off yet. I remember, distinctly remember, walking across the street with the handcuff still on my wrist And then sitting down at the kitchen table as the police officer tried to pick the lock. uh, And he finally got the cuff off. God has to do that for every single one of us. Because the Bible says that sin is slavery. And we're all standing there, handcuffed to our sin, Unable to set ourselves free. We've tried the butter knives and the screwdrivers and whatever. And and it's not until the Lord sets us free that we can be free. Oh, sin lies to us. Sin likes to tell us that sin brings freedom and pleasure. But the temporary pleasure yields lasting pain. And sin is powerful, brutal, overbearing. And the bondage has you under its power and authority. The Bible teaches that you can't free yourself from your sin, even if you tried. You need a jailbreak moment from the Lord. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Uh, I was bound by sin. I learned that at the shores of the Red Sea. And jot this down I couldn't change myself. I couldn't change myself. Oh, I've tried. I've felt the guilt, I've felt the shame. I know I shouldn't be doing this, and I've tried, but I can't. And even if I get one area of my life kind of in good condition, then it either falls apart or there's another area that I can't tame. Why? Why? Because sin masters you. Sin domineers you. You can't free yourself from your sin. I couldn't free myself. I couldn't change myself. I'm powerless to contain or to control sin the ugly energy of sin in my life. We have to learn this lesson of faith. Why did God let the Israelites be bound? 400 years, crack of the whip, and there they are, heavy loads, no freedom. What's God doing with his people? Hey, he's acting something out that's supposed to teach you about you. All this slavery leads to this shore when finally God can free them from bondage. And we learn about us. God needs to free us from slavery to sin. Hey, I was bound by sin. All right, here's the second lesson we learn as we identify with these people. Jot this down. I was afraid of death. I was bound by sin. I was afraid of death. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back. And there's the U-turn 500 feet. Make a U-turn. Tell them to turn around. What? What? and encamp in front of Pi-Hahirith. That's fun to say. Pi-Hahirith between Migdal and the sea in front of baal Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. Interesting. All right? Turn around and go by the sea and encamp facing the sea. Now this is not a great military strategy. Just so you know, God is intentionally putting them in a dire, vulnerable predicament. Why? Verse three. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they're wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. So God wants them to look like they've got no idea where they're going. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. Uh, why, Why would God turn me to a place where I don't want to go? Why, when I'm doing everything right, does God push me to a dead end, a place of fear, a place of vulnerability? Why would God do that? Two reasons. I will get glory. Others will know I am the Lord. Why? I did everything right. Okay, now we're not talking about the times when you were a fool and it landed you in a, in a predicament. That's a whole other sermon. Not for today. Everybody say, not for today. Okay, if you turn toward the dead end, and you ran into the wall, another sermon. But if you did what God told you, and it got you nowhere, backed up, dead end, God's going to get glory, and you're going to be His billboard showing everyone around you who He is. Why is this happening? Two reasons. God will get, and He will show others Himself through this turn of events. Well, then what happened next? Verse 5. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. They said, what is this we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. So he made ready his chariot and took took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pihirath in front of Baal-zephon. This is the e- emotional equivalent of you getting to Lake Michigan, setting up camp after God led you out, and then you hear like, like the roar of a tank battalion, and you see the dust and you hear the soul all coming right at you. And it, and it says, like, it wasn't just chariots, it was like choice chariots. Like, like there's Navy SEALs in this group, like coming out of the lake. Like, it, as hopeless and terrified and utterly defenseless as you can possibly imagine. Cannot get any worse than this. Wow. How did they react? Verse 10. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they, what does it say there? Do you have your Bible? What does it say there? Fear, not just feared, what does it say there? Feared greatly. Feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, now this is kind of a funny voice here. They, they feared greatly, but then one of them said something. Um, and like in my mind, I'm playing this part. The part of this person is, uh, did you see the movie Up? Did you see the movie with the grandpa? Here's, here's in my mind who's playing the, the part here. So just imagine him and his voice while I read this line here. You can leave that picture up there. But somebody said this. Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? I figured it out. I know now why after 10 plagues, God led us out of Egypt. Because there was a cemetery overcrowding population. There were too many bodies in the cemetery. And, and, and in order to bury us, God led us here. I figured it out. As if like God's going to say, you got me. That's it. Couldn't figure out where to bury you. Led you all the way out here. This voice, this you—you you brought us out here because there's no graves where we were. We're all gonna die. Like what a pathetic, moaning, faithless, grouchy. But if you're honest, when the next trial comes, that voice—that voice is in each one of us, right? Are you as good as I am uh, at writing bad endings to God stories? Because I'm. I'm a gifted author. I mean, God starts this awesome story, and he's writing some pretty amazing things, and then something turns, and then I'm like, I know how this is going to end. I'm going to be buried in the desert, aren't I? Uh, I'm really good at writing bad endings to God's stories in my heart, to my shame, but I think you are too. And at a crisis of faith, Christians get, get, we turn into like, we get faith amnesia. Right? We can't remember what God already did and who He already, like the men in black, that little look at the pen. And then we're like, I don't remember anything. Nothing God did before is coming to mind. He wants me dead. They were terrified. They were terrified. After all God had done, they were acting like they had seen nothing. And that's Where the Lord will lead us. The next crisis of faith. Maybe you're writing bad endings to God's stories in your life right now. Oh, if I trust God to pick my future spouse, he's going to be nerdy and ugly and no fun at all. I can't trust God to do it. i got to pick him. And then I'll invite God to the wedding. Oh, if we try marriage counseling, it just won't work. It's too broke for God to fix. If we even tried it, things would get worse. No hope. Oh, if I get baptized, people are going to think I'm weird and strange and they're going to make fun of me and I don't like getting wet. And, hey, are you good at writing bad endings to God's stories in your life? Because that's what the Israelites were doing. Uh, but we, right, we forget what God has done. We forget who God is. And as a result, we take our eyes off of God. And then we let fear take control And then we believe lies about God. We do the same thing. And the lesson of faith here is they were terrified of death. They were utterly terrified of death. And God wanted them to be in that crisis of faith. Why? So that he could get glory. So that he can teach everyone about himself. And the the ultimate lesson of faith here is this. Right there on the shores of the Red Sea with imminent death coming in. I mean, they, they had no hope of escape. They would undoubtedly kill the leaders of the whole nation, right? And, and then they would take the rest back into bondage. Death is stalking them. But God wants you to learn about you because you are being stalked by death. You have no hope of escaping. He's coming for you. It's just a matter of time. And, and God puts you on this shore here this morning so that you can look back and see that there's no hope of escape. Look ahead and see that there's no way of getting out of it. And learn. Only God can save you from death. He's the only one who could get you out of bondage. And now he's the only one who can deliver you from death. Hey, have you learned that lesson of faith yet? You wonder what's going to happen one moment after you die? You wonder what's waiting for you on the other side of heaven? God's wanting to get you ready for that. And he's giving you this portrayal of your predicament. Spiritually, death is stalking you. And what can you do about it? Nothing. God must act. Well, what's he going to do? Well, let's read on. Chapter 14, verse 11, reading on. What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone, that we may serve the Egyptians, for it would have been, get this, would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Rather, be back in the handcuffs. That would be a lot funner than what's going on right now. And Moses said to the people, okay, this is Moses' chance. He's about to give his speech. You ready? Now, Moses has had his moments, right, where he didn't do so hot, uh-huh, like when he ran away from the snake and screamed like a girl. There's, there's times that he hasn't done great, but this is one of his moments And Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he, I feel like you should be clapping, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians who you see today, you shall never see it. Come on, I'm not done yet. You shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you and you have only to be silent. Now, the context seems to indicate Moses may have not given the right speech. Okay? Like, that was a gladiator moment, like a speech to an army before they go out, right? Like, this is a war speech. Just stand still. Grab your popcorn. God's going to take them out. Um, But what happens next? Verse 15. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Uh Uh-oh. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Wait a minute. I just I just gave them the stand still speech. Stand still and be quiet. What do you mean go forward? Go forward. Go forward? Like can't you drop some of those hail bombs again? And like let's get the lightning happening. At least the frogs. I mean something. No. Go forward. There ain't a forward to go. There's army, sea. Verse 16, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Now, Moses didn't grow up hearing the story of Moses. Fair? Nobody ever sat him down in Sunday school and told him, and then the sea. Never heard it. I think when God told him, turn around, and God didn't say God was going to do this. Did you catch what he said? Part the sea. This is delegation. Turn around, part the sea. I think Moses went like this Huh? I don't think the thought crossed his mind at any point leading up to this moment. I thought he thinks God's going to demolish these Egyptians. Turn around giant body of water, part the sea. Part the sea? You want me to do what? Part the sea? Humanly speaking, there's an 80-year-old guy with a stick. <laughs> Humanly speaking, all Moses had to do was this. Right? But the faith it took to hear, to believe, and to turn, and to lift the staff, the faith that that took, and God put him in that crisis of faith. Why? Because he wanted the Israelites to see Moses as a great deliverer. Now, there's a reason for that, but jot this down. I was bound by sin. I was was afraid of death. Number three, I followed God's deliverer by faith. This is the first thing we, or the third thing we learn here at the shores of the Red Sea. I, I followed God's deliverer by faith. What hope do I have, common Israelite, with the army coming, the Navy SEALs and the tanks in it? What hope do I have of getting out of this? Well, there's a there's an 80 year old guy with a stick over there, and he's going to do what God just told him to do. (laughs) All right, I'll get in line. Go ahead and lift up the stick. Let's see what happens. God wanted his people to know what a deliverer could do. He wanted him, by faith, to follow Moses. Go forward, verse 15. Verse 16, lift up your staff, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will, here it is again, get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians shall, here it is again, know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. The pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. What is that? Well, and this is massive. Imagine the largest tornado you've ever seen, only it's made of fire and smoldering black smoke. And, and it's massive. There's, a, there's like two million people here, and somehow it's, it's sufficient enough to come between them and, and, the, and the giant army of the Pharaoh. This is not just a pyrotechnic trick God did from heaven. Listen, this is the very presence of God protecting them from all of the forces of darkness. This is a divine manifestation, a disclosure of God, of God himself. It says in verse 20, Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel, and there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. Here it is. This is the moment of faith. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Wow. Just close your eyes for a moment. Just close your eyes and imagine that you're there. Imagine that you're there. You see him walking out. You see him lift up the staff. You hear the wind blasting past your ears like a train. It, it knocks you off balance. You hear the roaring water split in half. It shoots straight up into the sky. You take your first steps. You look down. The ground is dry. <laughs> the ground is dry. There's a wall of water off to your left there's a wall of water off to your right that stretches as far as your eyes can see into the horizon there is no one like our god are you there open your eyes you're there you are there god placed you there this morning to learn the lesson of faith that he taught his people. Moses was a pre-enactment of Christ, the great Deliverer and Messiah. God wanted to teach you something about Christ and about you at the Red Sea. To do so, he cast Moses in the role of Jesus, and he cast the Israelites in the role of you. And what he's teaching us there is we're supposed to learn that Our sin landed us in slavery. Only Christ the Deliverer could get us out of slavery to sin. And only Christ the Deliverer could get us through the waters of death that was pursuing us. Uh, Hey, we don't get it if we look at the Red Sea and we say, My God, what you did for Moses. We truly get it when we look at the Red Sea and we say, My God, what you did for me through Christ. What an amazing portrayal of salvation. And there's two things we observe here about about faith that saves us. Jot this down. I followed God's deliverer by faith. I believed what I heard. I believed what I heard. Uh, Saving faith is not faith in any old thing. Uh, Saving faith is not faith in everything that could be believed. Saving faith is not faith in my imagination or in humanity or in a God who winks at sin. It's faith, listen, it's faith in what God has revealed. Saving faith is obedience to what I heard from God above. Stretch out your hand, part the sea, walk forward. I believed what I heard. And in John 5, 24, listen to what Jesus says. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever, get this, Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment. He has passed from death to life. How? How? Heard the words of Christ, believed that they came from God who sent him. Then what? You have passed from death to life. There's a conversion. There's a crossing over. In every human's life, there has to be a point When they're on the shores of the Red Sea, you understand that there is a deliverer God has appointed. He's the only one who can lead you from death to life. And the only way you can get there is by faith in what you heard. That's our hope. That's our deliverance. I believe what I heard and jot this down. I followed the man God appointed. I followed the man God appointed. I can't get through on my own. I can't get to the other side. I'm dead. But God appointed a Savior. Check out Colossians 1, 13-14. We'll put it up on the screen. Hey, let's all read this together. Here we go. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. It's an amazing verse that talks about how we were in one kingdom. It's referred to as the domain of darkness. Christ came and led us out of that kingdom. Can you see? Like leaving Egypt in bondage. Led us out of that kingdom into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the land of promise. The kingdom of his precious son whom he loves. And it's called redemption. We are bought out of the slave market of sin. We are set free and transferred over to a new kingdom. This is all acted out in the Israelites at the Red Sea. Hey, have you learned these lessons of faith? I've followed God's deliverer by faith. I believed what I heard. I follow the man God has appointed. Do you trust that your only hope of getting into heaven is by following the man God has appointed to deliver you there? I had a conversation with my oldest daughter, Ellie. This was a few years ago. She just had her 11th birthday, but back when she was like 6, you know, little cute running around, with ponytails. I, I just said, uh, hey, Ellie, <clears throat> if, if God asked you why he should let you into heaven, what would you say? Uh, And she said this, she said, well, you've done a lot of great things for me and I've done a lot of great things for you, so we're even. (laughs) And I was like, what church do you go to? What are they teaching you in Sunday school? Who is your pastor? (laughs) You've done a lot of great things for me. How do you think you're going to get into heaven? If you had to stand before the Lord today, what would you say? Uh, because because at the shore of the Red Sea, when God blasts open the doorway to paradise and his deliverer begins to walk forward and says, Follow me, there's a few things you could say that wouldn't get you to the other side ever. Like, like I'm a I'm a pretty good person. I haven't really done it as bad of things as some other people, so so I don't need that road. Um, or yeah. Like, I kind of think everybody's going to get there eventually. It doesn't really matter if I follow him or uh, Pharaoh's got some gods too. Like, what's wrong with his gods? That's not going to fly. Uh, well, I went to church a lot, learned a lot of Bible stuff, did checklist religious training. So I, I don't know that I need to go through. Hey, listen, all other options lead to you standing there, hopeless. And, and as Christ, the Deliverer, leads His people away from slavery to sin and death, the only hope you have is by faith following Him. That's it. It's the only hope God gives us. There is no other way. I followed God's Deliverer by faith. I believed what I heard. I followed the man God appointed. And here's the fourth, here's the result. Last lesson learned about faith. I was rescued by God's mighty power forever. I was rescued by God's mighty power forever. It says in verse, verse number 23, the Egyptians, verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea. All Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen. In the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. The Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Now, this is like one of the biggest like, moments of like, duh, that I've ever read in the Bible. <laughs> I, I think God's on their side. I'm putting all of the clues together and I feel like like God's fighting for them. Does anyone else feel that right now? Like in the middle of the sea, in between the walls of water. The Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea. That the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal course. When the morning appeared. As the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus the Lord, listen to this word, saved Israel that day, from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. I was rescued by God's mighty power forever. The word used is saved. See, we don't just need to be taught. We don't just need to be coached in life. We don't just need to be encouraged. Oh, the word is saved. We need to be saved. And God will rescue us by his mighty hand forever. The Israelites show us what becomes of those who by faith are saved. They escape from the power of sin. They go through the pursuing Uh, army in in the waters of death they make it through Uh, and it's through the way of death that they're saved from death and now that foreshadows Christ I was rescued by God's mighty power forever jot this down I was freed from the power and the penalty of sin I was freed now the power is broken doesn't mean you stop sinning it means you have the power over the course of your life To rise up in righteous victory over the sins that kept you bound. It's a lifelong process. But God has broken the power of sin. Sin is no longer your master that you need to obey. It's evil. He has no authority over you. All it can do is shrill loudly in your heart and come to the council chambers in your heart and suggest, I've got an idea. I think it would be more fun if we did this tonight. But he's got no power to enslave you anymore. I was freed from the power and from the penalty. This is a great truth you will not pay for a single sin you have done in your life if you trust christ the deliverer he has paid it all on the cross for you you didn't get off scot-free god didn't wave a little magic wand or abracadabra they're all gone he poured out his wrath on christ for you paid in full i was freed from the power i was freed from the penalty You will one day be freed from the presence of sin. That's heaven, right? You want that now. What's with all these people around me aggravating me the way they drive, making me so mad people, sinful people. What are they doing still on this planet? God hasn't removed you from the presence of sin yet because he's patient, willing that none should perish. We're not to despise that. Sinful people will hurt you in this life. The sin within you will hurt others in this life. But the day is coming when heaven starts. And listen... Sin will be extinct forever. Lord hasten that day. By faith, I was freed from the power and the penalty of sin. Check out Romans 6:17 to 18. It says this, put it up on the screen. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been Set free from sin, you've become slaves of righteousness. I was freed from the power and penalty of sin. Here's the next one. I was freed from the sting and victory of death. I was freed from the sting and the victory of death. Death pursued me behind me. It was in front of me and it was through the waters of death that they were pursued by death and they were delivered from death by, their, by Moses. And Christ is the one who overcomes the grave on our behalf. Uh, yes, you will likely, if Christ doesn't come back, you will die. But, but death is a defeated foe. To the Christian, death is the doorman holding open the way to paradise. Nothing more. Christians don't really die. Christians just blink and then they wake up in paradise forever. That's all death can do to you. All death can do to you is, your heaven, sir. That's it. Why? Because Christ defeated the grave. Christ is the only one who can take away the fear of death from us. Christ is the only one who can set us free from bondage to sin. Which is why in Hebrews eleven twenty nine, the praise report in the New Testament on these Old Testament folks is this. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. There's a contrast here. Between two kingdoms and two destinies. And listen, you have a choice to make. Your choice in this life will determine where you will spend eternity in the next. If you understand what you heard and receive the grace of God and the Lord works a miracle in your soul, you will be saved by His hand. You'll be saved forever. That will put you in the kingdom of light. But if you refuse then you are still numbered among those who are in the kingdom of darkness. The Egyptians are supposed to teach us what happens if we stay at war with God, if, if we stay opposed to his plan, if we stand against his people, if we try and outrun death. The waters of death will wash over us and his judgment will destroy us. You have two kingdoms to choose from. You will spend eternity in one of two places. And will you choose a defeated, sinful, rebellious, and stubborn people who are doomed by God forever? Or, or will you spend eternity with a forgiven and redeemed and delivered people? A kingdom that is covered by the blood of the Lamb. A kingdom that looks up and God's judgment will never fall upon them. A kingdom that has one king who is righteous and powerful and a kingdom that will last forever. You will spend eternity in one of those two kingdoms. And here you are right now. God brought you here this morning and stood you at the shore of the sea. And behold, in front of your very eyes, he showed you what the Lord Jesus Christ worked in front of you. And you can choose to stand still, and it won't go well for you. Or you can choose by faith to follow the Deliverer. And you can live forever with your King in heaven. Which is it going to be? I want to give you a chance right now to respond to what you heard. I love the way this story ends. It says, finally, they believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. Do you know that in the in the souls of individual believers right there, a far greater miracle happened than water, fire, chariots, you know all that was just supposed to act out God delivering a soul through faith? The greater miracle happened on the other side of the Red Sea, in the heart. And that's what God wants to do in you right now. Let me give you a chance to respond to what you heard by faith. Let's all bow our heads. Let's all close our eyes. and Let's just have a private moment of reflection between you and the Lord. Father, we understand that this truth was for us. The word of God says these things were written down as examples for us. And Lord, I know there are some in this room. They've seen it today, Lord. They've seen it. They've seen what you have done to save them. They understand the bondage of sin. They're ready for freedom. If that's you, speak to your your heavenly Father right now in the quiet places of your own heart. Talk to Him. Tell Him you agree that you are a slave to sin. Tell Him you agree you are afraid of death and what comes after. Tell Him you agree He has appointed one Deliverer, the Lord Jesus Christ, who alone can safely bring you through death to eternity.
1: Tell Him you receive the
0: Lord Jesus Christ by faith. Tell Him you turn from your life of sin. You leave darkness behind for light. Lord, may all who this morning have taken those first steps of faith following the Lord Jesus feel a rushing wind of your Spirit filling them with hope, with joy unexplainable, with peace, with freedom as the shackles fall off, with courage. Lord, my prayer is that you would Help them to understand that you will never leave them and you will never forsake them. Help them as they arrive at the other side the Red Sea of salvation to understand this is the beginning of a great journey, walking with their Lord. Death is gone. Sin is done away with. You will be with them forever. Fill our hearts with this joy at your great deliverance. Lord, we praise you and we thank you for all that you've done on our behalf. And it's in the name of Jesus, our Deliverer, that we pray.